How is everybody? Good, good. You guys missed it. You should have been here last night. I actually broke out the flip-flops. It was the first time in a long time. Yeah, it felt wonderful. It was great. You know, I made extra, you know, extra sure that my feet looked extra good and all that stuff. Um, hey, um, last week, guys. Oh, so ironic. Last week, the point of the message was do not grow tired in doing good works. That's what we talked about last. We can laugh about it now. That's good. Um, this week, and this is going to blow your mind, I wrote all this on Tuesday before any of this happened, but the point of this week's lesson is this, is that we are to be proactive with our faith, not reactive, that we are to plan on the front end and not just react on the back end, okay? Now, you guys should have notes, handouts in front of you. If you have your Bible with you, hey, just to warn you guys, they are changing the Holman Christian Standard Bible to just the Christian Standard Bible so pretty soon it's going to be a little bit different and we'll have to all buy new Bibles, which is fun, but uh, that's coming down the pike. So anyways, to set the scene real quick, if you have not been here, we are in chapter 16 of John. What's going on is Jesus has just wrapped up the Last Supper, right? He's with his 11 disciples. They've just wrapped up. He's given them last minute, not advice, but just kind of what he wants them to do and how to live, okay? And so they've just left the Last Supper, Judas has left to go deceive him, and Jesus and the disciples are walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're going to pray together, and they're going to talk a little bit more, and that's when Jesus is going to get arrested, and we're going to get into his crucifixion, okay? So that's where we're at in the story, all right? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read a little bit, I'll go back and break it down to the best of my abilities, and we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? Here we go, chapter 16. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you may remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus was specifically talking about all of Christianity, but there was a time of Christianity from the time Jesus died to about 313 AD, and I'll explain why that date's important, where there was extreme persecution against the church. So when he says hard times are coming, he meant pretty soon, right? They're going to start happening almost immediately, and they're going to go on for about 300 years pretty intensely. When that changed, there was a thing called the Edict of Milan, Fun fact, the Edict of Milan set in place by a guy named Diocletian, who was a Roman Caesar, right? Diocletian set this law into effect that it was now against the law in Rome to persecute Christians. Almost like the civil rights acts that have happened in the United States, something happened similar for the Christians in the Roman Empire in 313 AD. Now, the kind of persecution that Jesus said is coming, two different kinds, both very bad, right? The first one was social excommunication. 
You're going to get kicked out of your social circles. That's going to happen. He says the second one that's going to happen is much worse. It's going to be murder, that many people are going to be hurt. And Jesus mentions this to prepare them, almost like if someone says, listen, you're going to get swung at. They're going to swing first with their right and then with their left. So you at least know what to look for. You at least know how to put your guard up. That's what Jesus is trying to teach them. Now, the thing about Christian persecution, about martyrdom, this has always been a part of the Christian faith. It started in Acts chapter 7. That's where the first martyr, a guy named Stephen, was killed for Jesus' name, and it has never stopped since. The BBC did a really interesting story where they estimate somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% of all Christians right now, today, right, are being persecuted. Now, you step back and you say, well, it's only 10%. Well, 10% of 2 billion is a lot of people. It's 200 million people. That's almost the size of the United States. Now, where is that happening? It's happening very extremely in North Korea, in Egypt, in Sudan, in Somalia. If you go to eat at almost any Euro place in this city, um, uh, Euro Tabbouleh, if you go to the Chicago-style Euro, all these different Euro places, nine times out of 10, they are Egyptians. And if you look very closely at their hand, they'll mostly have a tattoo right here and right here, which means they are Coptic Christians. And that symbolizes their Coptics. The reasons why we have so many Egyptians in Murfreesboro is they fled from Egypt because they're slaughtering there, like slaughtering Christians there like crazy. It happens on a much lesser scale in places like India, Indonesia, China, and there's a slew of many other countries where they persecute Christians. A guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer, brilliant writer, great man, who was alive in the 1940s and killed by the Nazi party, said this right before he was hung. He said, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. And then he died for his faith. Very fascinating stuff. So what happens is this. Jesus, because he knows everything, he knew that the disciples were going to come into extremely hard times. And he knew it was going to happen very soon, in a matter of weeks. And that over their lifespan, it was going to escalate to the point to where all of the disciples, except for John, were going to be violently murdered. Now, of the 12 disciples... Judas, he hung himself. We're going to find out that later. Ten of the disciples were violently killed, and John was not violently killed, but they boiled him alive and then kicked him onto an island by himself. So they didn't treat him very well. So in peaceful times, guys, this is us. In the peaceful times, we have to prepare ourselves for the chaotic times. When times are calm, we need to pray, we need to read, we need to prepare ourselves. We need to be proactive with our faith instead of reactive with our faith, right? That's what we need to do. We need to be working on the front end. And so when Jesus said to the disciples, he said, look, here's the thing, I'm preparing you because I'm leaving. And when he said, I'm leaving, this made them extremely sad, but he had to leave in order to send the Holy Spirit. Now, when we read this, we can see that, right? We're 2,000 years removed from the disciples, and we're like, come on, guys. You should have just trusted Jesus. He said he's going to take care of you. And it's easy for us to step back, and, and when we're removed from the drama, we can kind of see the big picture. When we have conversations, though, with people who are going through garbage, when they're going through hard times, we need to be empathetic with them. Hey, it's going to be all right. It may be all right, but in the moment, it's tough. So when we talk to people, maybe we can say things like, you're going to make it, but look, it's going to be hard for a while. We're going to have to walk with each other. Whenever I do funerals, I don't walk up to people and just say, hey, it's going to be okay. I say, look, it's going to get sad. You're going to go through times of anger. You're going to feel times of loneliness, but you can make it. 
We can do it. Let's walk this together, okay? That's how we approach situations like that, okay? Jesus goes on. He says, when he comes, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and he will no longer see me, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Now, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to convict. We hear that word a lot, but maybe we don't always know what it means. Convict literally means to correct. It's going to set straight the record about different things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, here's the thing about sin. We know what sin is because of the Word of God, more specifically the Ten Commandments. So the Bible is what actually defines what sin is. But conviction of sin comes from the Holy Spirit. And one of the way that conviction works is if you and I have the Holy Spirit in us, right, and we're hanging out with someone that does not have the Holy Spirit in them, the Holy Spirit in us will radiate through us by how we live, by how we talk, by how we act, by how we treat our families, whatever the case may be. And it will make others evaluate their choices. It will convict them. It will speak to them. That's why we need to make sure that we have the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit also convicts about what is right. Not only does the Holy Spirit tell us what's wrong or convict us about what's wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts us on what is right. And we live in a day and age where we believe in moral relativism. I talked about this the other day. I had a, a young man in my, my small group show me a story that was on Snapchat. And he's like, look at this story. And I'm clicking through it. And this story is about all the different kinds of relationships you can get in, right? Polyamorous or polygamous or open and all these different things. Basically, all the things the Bible tells you you shouldn't get into. And this story makes it look like it's positive. Because as long as everyone says yes and as long as everyone's okay... Knock yourself out, right? Moral relativism. But the Holy Spirit tells us that, that, that morality is not relative, it's absolute. There is a definitive right and there is a definitive wrong. And one of the reasons why many people don't accept Christianity is because Christianity says, this is right and this is wrong. But the Holy Spirit convicts us to produce fruit in our lives. We talked about that last week. Joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, patience. These things that come out of us. And hopefully that will show people that what we believe works, that it is the truth, okay? So the Holy Spirit tells us what is wrong or convicts us about what is wrong, convicts us about what is right, and it also holds us accountable. It convicts us that there will come a day when we will be judged, right? And so it says the ruler of this world, who is Satan, if we rebel against God, like Satan rebelled against God, we will receive, this, receive the same fate that Satan received. Now, Jesus says, and this is very interesting, and you can easily gloss over it. Jesus says that the ruler of this world has already been judged. We already know what's going to happen to the devil. So 
if we live like the devil, we already know where we're going to end up. If we do the things that the devil tells us to do, or if we do the things that are contrary to what God says, we know where we're going to end up. We know those ways do not work. And so Jesus was very clear about that. Don't go down that road. There's also something interesting that Jesus says. Jesus says, I would have told you everything, but you can't bear everything right now. You can't handle everything right now. And what that is, is that shows us there's a thing in the Bible called progressive revelation. Now that sounds fancy, but it's not super complicated. All that means is this, that in our walk with God and in Christianity as a whole, Jesus shows us things as we can handle that little degrees of truth as we can handle it. And in fact, the Bible as a whole is a progressive revelation. If you read this whole book from Genesis to Revelation, it shows us the whole scope of how God has worked. That's why we cannot take scripture out of context. That's why you just can't pull one passage out and be like, look, this is God, right? This is how it works. No, no, you have to read the entire book. You have to see the entire picture. You have to have the entire context, right? That's how people have bad theology is they pull little parts out and not get the whole picture, okay? So this whole progressive revelation became accelerated after the cross. After Jesus died on the cross, his Holy Spirit was poured out and we're given a greater understanding of God. Why? Because God is now in us. We don't have to necessarily go to a priest and have him pray for us, or we don't have to do all these, these crazy laws and religious uh, ceremonies necessarily, but now we have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't read. This doesn't mean that we don't study. It doesn't mean that we don't pray. It also doesn't mean that we're going to know it all, right? It doesn't mean that. We still need to study. We still need to pray because the Holy Spirit reveals us truth through the Word of God. So it doesn't negate the fact that we need to keep working to be closer to him, okay? All right, next part. Look at how confusing this would have been to the disciples. Jesus says this, a little while and you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Therefore, some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? A little while and you won't see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me because I'm going to the Father? They said, what is this he's saying? A little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to question him, so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? A little while and you will not see me? Again, a little while and you will see me? I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has when someone is born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of that joy. In that day, you will not ask me anything. I assure you, Anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked me for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made complete. Okay? So you can see why the disciples were confused. When you're just reading that, it's kind of confusing. He says, I'm going to leave, but you're going to see me again soon, essentially. Right? So the disciples were more confused than ever. 
And Jesus senses they're confused. He senses that they don't know what's going on. And listen, the word communicate is nowhere in this chapter, but it's kind of a theme of this chapter. One of the whole points of the Holy Spirit is communication. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter. It is the one that helps us communicate with God and helps us communicate with others. And we see the importance of the Holy Spirit in this confusing time that the disciples were going through. Now, Jesus tells the 11, there's only 11 left because Judas is left, that a time of grieving and pain is coming. But he also says that's not going to last forever. Eventually, all this grief would turn to joy. Now, here's the thing. This sounds so cliche, but it's true. Confusion turns to truth and grief turns to joy when we start to comprehend the words of Christ. When we read the word of God and they start to make sense to us, that's when we can find comfort. That's when we can find peace. And so we talked a couple of weeks ago, the reason we must constantly make sure that we're full of the Spirit, because if we're not full of the Spirit all the time, it's so easy for us to be confused. It's so easy for us to go the wrong way. And so here's the thing. Uh, we talk about zap moments sometimes, or at least I've talked about zap moments sometimes. Jesus says pain comes before joy. Now, Jesus can do zap moments. That's not a biblical term, by the way. Zap moments is when someone prays for something and zap, it's instantly fixed, right? And I know that can happen, and it does happen occasionally, but what we see in the Bible and what we see how God works, God has a tendency to work in processes, right? There's a time, there's a season where God does things to us. And the analogy he uses to teach that is just like a woman goes through pregnancy, right? When you get pregnant, women, you know this because you've been through the, the, the pain of this, right? When you get pregnant, you don't just like pop out like this fully developed child. Woo, that was easy. Here you go. Let's raise this thing, right? That's not how it works. There's this process. And just like right before a woman gives birth and this miraculous thing that happens, right before that happens, that's when there's the most pain. I don't know that from experience. I just saw my wife do it twice, right? And so Christianity goes through the similar process. And sometimes in the middle of the process, we don't understand why it's so painful and so, so confusing and so hurtful at times. But once the good miraculous thing has come out of it, we forget about the pain. I've never met a mother who's holding her baby and they're just like, man, this was not worth the 10 months of all this discomfort. <laughs> I've never met a woman to say that when you're holding that child, all of it was worth it. So listen, the process helps us appreciate the reward. The process God puts us through helps us appreciate what he has for us on the other side. And so here's the other thing about the process, guys. Some of you who've come into my office before, I've told you, this is a season, this is a season, this is a season, it will pass. And Jesus tells us this, this process is not forever. When he says this will happen for a little while, he meant two things. One, not so bad. The other one is hard for us to swallow. The first thing he says, this is only going to be for a little while. He meant that there's going to be a couple of months between the time Jesus was crucified from the time that he poured out his spirit. So it's going to be a little rough in that time, right? That little while. But don't worry, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The other little while that he was referring to was our life. Now that's a little bit harder to swallow. Jesus says, you're only going to go through this pain for a little while. That means, guys, that even if we live to be 100 years old and it is the worst life imaginable, the hardest existence imaginable, Jesus says, if you will just stick with me, if you will just trust me, if you will just follow me, 
even if it was 100 years that was awful, compared to eternity, it's nothing. It's a little while. So if you can just stick with me during that time, Jesus says, I promise you that sorrow is going to turn to joy and it will never go back to sorrow. So listen, as Christians, we have to put our time on earth in perspective. We have to step back and say, God, it has been hard for years. God's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not always going to be like that. It's not always going to be like that. Even at its worst, this life is short, okay? And if we're going to make it through this life, we have to ask for help. The only way that grief can turn to joy is if we ask for God to help us. And when we pray in Jesus' name, again, there's hundreds of you that have come to me and you're just like, I'm going through this situation. I say, just pray Jesus' name. Speak it out loud. When you pray, say, in Jesus' name, I need your help. And when we do that, when we do that, it connects us to him by our faith. It honors Jesus Christ as our God, and it proclaims that he's in charge. When we pray Jesus' name, it takes the, the, the weight off us to fix the problem, and it puts it all on him, and that requires a lot of humility. When all this garbage happened on Friday, my first thing to do is I'm like, I'm going to call a lawyer. I'm going to call Google. I'm going to call Facebook. I'm going to fly up to Salem and... Be, lay hands on people. We're going to like all this stuff, right? Um, so all these thoughts pop into your head. And then my wife just looks at me and says, why are you trying to fight God's fight? Okay. And so I just step back and said, we're going to tell the elders, we're going to talk to people, we're going to pray about it. God's going to take care of it. And that's the route we're going to go. But listen, not just in a situation like that, someone is going to make you mad at some point, And you're going to be tempted to take that upon yourself to vindicate it. And the Bible says that vindication is not yours. It is God's. You need to be humble and let him fight that fight for you. Okay? Last part. Okay, nerd alert. If you get on YouTube sometime... And if you, I think if you just search NASA ISS, International Space Station, there's a 24-7 live feed from the International Space Station. It's a little dorky, but some of you guys are going to try it tonight. <laughs> Anyways, that's what that image is from. Last part. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not telling you that I will make a request to the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I have come into this world. Again, I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. Ah, the disciple said, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world be courageous. I've conquered the world. So Jesus looks at them and he says, pretty soon I'm just going to be straightforward with you, right? I'm going to tell you plainly about the Father. Now, when Jesus taught, he often taught in parables. And that doesn't mean that he thought people were dumb or that, that, that he wasn't a good teacher. Oftentimes when Jesus would speak, people would say, Jesus, what is the kingdom of God like? 
Jesus would say, well, the kingdom of God is like a field that a man was in one day. He found a treasure. He decided to sell everything he had so he could buy that field. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And they can sit back and people would say, oh, okay, so the kingdom of God is so important that I should give up everything to make sure I have this. So that's how, typic, uh, how, how Jesus typically taught, very simple and in parables. But he said, soon I'm gonna get deep. We're gonna speak plainly about the Father. Now, what he's referring to to them is there was a 40-day period of time from the time he ascended, right, raised himself from the grave, from the time he went on to heaven, right, from the time he was resurrected, I'm sorry, I said ascended, resurrected from the time he ascended into heaven, in those 40 days, he opened the disciples' eyes. He taught them, he spoke plainly about the Father, okay? So what we learn from that is this. This is the most simple thing in the world, but I wanted to make it very evident. If we have the Holy Spirit, and if we take the time to spend time with God, to read the Word and to pray, if we use time and the Holy Spirit, we will have a deeper understanding of God. I know that's so, that's so simple, but people always say, how can I know God more? Time. Spend time with Him. Pray. Fast. Read. This is how we get to know Him better. And when we do that, doubt turns to faith. Our faith changes. Okay, but again, this comes in spurts. We don't know it all instantly. And Jesus spoke ambiguously to them because they're about to go through a very confusing time. They couldn't handle everything that night. The reason they couldn't handle everything that night is just in a couple of hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. He even says, you're all gonna scatter. You're gonna leave me alone. It's gonna be nuts. I'll come back later and I'll fill you in on everything when you're in a better place. That teaches us that we must be patient students. Patience, patience, patience. That's for me, patience. We need to be patient students. You ever meet those people who are just like, Corey, I'm gonna read this thing this week. And I'm like, <laughs> knock yourself out because you're literally going to knock yourself out if you try to do that, right? You're not gonna figure this book out in a week. There are people who've dedicated their lives to that book and they're just scratching the surface. That's okay, we need to be patient. And when it comes to our faith, if we try to move faster than what God wants us to, we're gonna get frustrated. That doesn't mean that we keep sinning. That doesn't mean that we don't change bad behaviors. But if we try to figure all out, Jesus is saying, let me teach you the basics first before we move on to that stuff, right? So we need to be patient, okay? So because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, he says something interesting here. He says, don't think, I'm not telling you that I'm gonna make requests to the Father on your behalf. That's great. So Jesus isn't gonna to talk to the Father for us. What he meant by that was this is that when the Holy Spirit, when we receive Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, we don't, know, we don't need to go to anyone else except directly to God. That we have the privilege of petitioning God ourselves. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the elders pray for you. You should have the elders pray for you. The Bible says that. Doesn't mean that you guys shouldn't gather together and pray in groups. The Bible says where, there, where any two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the middle of them. You should do those things. All those things are good, but you need to know even if someone is more spiritual than you, there's not just this person that you need to make a trek across the world so they can touch you, right, and say a prayer for you. You have direct access to God. You can pray for your marriage. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for your family. You can pray for your own needs, and God will honor those things, okay? So another thing we see is we see Christology. 
Now, that's a fancy word for how do we understand who Christ is. There are four very important parts about Jesus that are mentioned in verse 27 and 28. Now, I know you guys know this, but if anyone ever asks you what makes Jesus so special, Christology, the study of the nature of Jesus, is very evident in verse 27 and 28. And here's what we learn about Jesus. We learn his origin, that he is the eternal God. He's always been there. We learn that he became incarnate, It's a fancy word for that he became flesh. We know that he was crucified and that's how he paid for our sin. And then we know that he ascended back up to heaven and he's waiting there for us, preparing a place for us. That is Christ in a nutshell. That is Christology. And that's what we need to know about him, those four important doctrines, okay? Now, after Jesus is teaching them all this, the disciples still weren't there. This is kind of humorous to me, though I shouldn't laugh at it. The disciples are like, ah, Jesus, we get it now. And he's like, no, you don't, right? But they think they got it figured out. And the best analogy I could come up with this, and if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You know when your kids are like, oh, I'll carry these plates, stack of plates, and you're like, honey, you can't do that. You're four years old and you weigh 30 pounds, right? You can't do that. And she's like, no, 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 I'll get it. And then they go up there and they're like, and they can't get it. Our kids try to impress us. They try to do more than what they, they, they thought they could do. But when they experience this weight, then they know that they can't do it alone, right? That's what the disciples were doing. Oh, Jesus, we got it figured out. Jesus says, no, you don't. You need my help. So we need to be careful. Listen, not to be self-confident. That doesn't mean you self-deprecate. That doesn't mean you talk bad about yourself. That's not what I'm saying. We need to make sure that our confidence doesn't come from us, but that it comes from the Holy Spirit in us. That's where our, if we're confident just in us, we're going to make a mistake. We're going to fall on our face, okay? We also see Jesus say something extremely important. He says, peace, I leave with you. Now, that's conditional. Not everyone in the world has peace because Jesus showed up, and you can easily see that, right? We live in a very chaotic day and age, but he said, peace, I leave with you. Now, that peace is conditional. What is the condition? We must have him. We must have the Holy Spirit. And the world only offers us complications that distract us and possibly destroy us. But fear turns to peace when we learn to apply Christ to our life. What does that mean? It means we follow the word, we pray, and we trust him. And if we follow the word and we pray and we trust him, our fear turns into peace even in the most troubling times, even in the worst times, okay? Here's my, my fear, though, is I don't know if we take the words of Jesus seriously. We've been so comfortable in our Christian culture that I don't think we understand the pressures that are coming. I think for so long, guys, I'll just talk about me for a second. I've always talked to you guys about persecution that's coming and that people are going to hate you. I said that last week, that people are going to hate you, not knowing what was coming in the, in the week to follow. And I've always talked about these things, but when it finally happens to you, you're kind of jarred, right? And you're kind of caught off off balance. And so I have a fear that we as Christians have not heeded the words of Jesus. Jesus said the suffering is coming. The pressure is coming. If you go to the book of Revelation, the church is not going to be, be treated well. In fact, I called Guy Miller. He's the pastor of the church up in Salem. And he said the same day that we had uh, the guy get arrested here in our church, there was four people that stood up in his service and were accusing him of things right in front of the whole church in Salem. That these times are gonna come and we know that. But since we're not always proactive, when those things come, 
when suffering comes or temptation comes or complications come, if we're not prepared for that, we're going to collapse. We're going to buckle. And at the very least, we're not going to react poorly. If someone comes up and says something hateful to your wife, and if you haven't prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill you, some of us men, we may not react well to that. If someone treats you bad at work or says something about you to where you don't get that promotion or whatever the case may be, if we're not filled up with the Spirit, we're not going to act like Jesus when people come at us. So we have to make sure on the front end that we're proactive about our faith. So we know that, but we have to believe that. And if we claim to follow Christ, we have learned that he already has won. He says, I've already done this. Not only has he already done this, if you go to the book of Revelation, it gives us detail of how it happens. And so if we know that he's already won, we should live in such a manner like he's already won. And if we know that we're going to win, we should have courage and we should prepare ourselves because the outcome has already been determined. Here's where we struggle though, at least me, I don't know about you, is I know God wins. I know he's going to take care of me, but sometimes I don't know how I'm going to get from point A to point B. (laughs) And God, I don't know how you're going to do that. I trust that you're going to do it, but I don't know how. But we just need to trust him that God's going to get us to where we need to be. In my life right now, this is probably one of the most important scriptures in my life right now. This is what Jesus says. He goes, I've told you all these things. I've told you it's coming. I've told you how to prepare yourself for it. I've told you that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've even told you that I've won the battle. I've told you all these things so you can have peace. That's what he says. I've warned you. I've prepared you. I've spoken truth into you. I've given you the Holy Spirit. All these things so that you may have peace because he says there will be suffering. Corey, do you think I'm going to suffer? Jesus said, we will suffer. There will be suffering in this world on some level. And so in that, he says, be courageous because I've already conquered the world. I've already conquered it. So here's where we must end up. Our faith must be proactive, not reactive. Listen, I'm not hammering you guys. Why do I keep telling you you need to read the word of God? You need to read the word of God because we don't know the promises of the word unless we read the word. We don't know the outcome unless we study it. We don't know the truth. I don't know if you guys have ever been to where you're so frustrated, you don't even know how to pray, but you can pick up the Bible and you can read the promises of God. You can read that he has said these things and it brings us hope and it brings us comfort. The only way we get that is if we read the word. We must also be insulating ourselves with his spirit before we are attacked. I wrote that on Tuesday. We must be insulating ourselves before we are attacked. We must make sure that the Holy Spirit is with us. Listen, you must make sure that you have accountability. You must make sure that people, you have people to talk to, that you're upfront with things. We need to make sure we take every step. If you have been in my office for premarital counseling, I keep telling you guys, share all your Facebook accounts, share all your email stuff with your, your spouse or your future spouse, share your banking information. Everything needs to be in the open and that prepares yourself before something happens. You cover your butt before something happens. Pray, read, study, Be prepared. But what we tend to do, guys, you guys remember the Orlando thing, right? Pray for Orlando. We should be praying for Orlando. That's that's great. And if any of you guys put that on your Facebook, we should have been praying for Orlando. But Orlando should have been praying for itself long before this tragedy took place. And I don't mean that as a knock on them. Pray for Columbine. We should have been praying for schools before kids got killed. I remember in 2001 when the Twin Towers got hit, all of the world for a brief moment stepped back and said, 
God, what's going on? And it took that for us to finally pray. It took that for us to finally be united as a people. And that didn't even last very long, did it? Why does it take a tragedy in our life? Why does it take us to where our spouse is finally ready to throw in the towel, to where we say, oh God, I gotta get my life right. I'm not knocking on you guys. I'm encouraging you before the junk hits the fan, before it gets bad, some of these things that we go through on a cultural scale or an individual scale, some of these things could be averted or at least handled better if we pray about it before. Guys, your marriage may be perfect right now. Pray for it. Pray for it in the future. Your kids may be perfect. If they are, send me cliff notes. Your kids may be perfect. Listen, let me tell you about my kids. The other night I prayed for Aya. She's my eight-year-old. I prayed for her future husband, like with her, I'm holding her. God, send my little girl a great man one day. God, and my, you know, I was like, that's disgusting. And I'm like, one day it's not gonna be disgusting to you and we're gonna make sure that it's a good dude, right? So, but I'm praying for my, my daughter's future husband. Why? Because one day I'm gonna have to hand her off. And I'm gonna start laying that foundation now. Pray for your kids. Pray for your schools. Pray for your government. You know, think I'm all nutty and charismatic. Do a walk around City Hall one day. Just say a prayer. Pray for, pray for Mayor Shane, who's a great Christian man. Pray that God gives him wisdom as he leads our city. Pray just, just as many people and as much proactive prayer you can do. Guys, pray for me. Pray that God gives me wisdom. Pray for our staff and our team. Pray for us. Pray for yourself. Be proactive. How would life look? Or how would, would, how would things look in our life? How would it be different if we did things on the front end with God rather than the back end? I just want to challenge you guys. Everything may be smooth sailing right now, but Jesus said, stuff's going to happen. Bad stuff's going to happen. Be courageous. Take heart. He's already conquered the world. Trust him. Pray. Be proactive in our faith. Okay, listen, there'll be people up here in the front to pray for you. We have more communion tables. We added some communion tables. So there's communion all the way around you. Hopefully you won't get backed up with that. Um, guys, I love you to death. I love this church more than, I got my wife, my kids, and you're my family. And I love you, and I thank you. And uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll go enjoy the beautiful weather today. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you, we lift you up, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for help and comfort and peace and all the things you've promised us, God, if we just trust in you. Fathers, we take communion today and we remember that your, your son was so relentless as he pursued us and loved us, God. Lord, let us remember when we take the, the juice and the bread, God, that your son died for us. Lord, that even while we were sinners, he died for us. Father, if anyone needs prayer, Lord, let people pray for them. God, if anyone needs to ask for forgiveness, Lord, let them seek that. And Lord God, if we have not been proactive, Jesus, Lord, give us a sense of urgency. Let us pray. Let us pray for our family and our friends and our neighbors and everyone around us, God, our government, our schools, our college. Lord, let us be proactive. Lord, let us cover everything we do with prayer. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We lift you up. And it's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. You guys are welcome to help yourself.